0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world today. I just, it's a pleasure for me to welcome you to Wow, what a show. That's what I'm saying. Thank God for each new day in our lives, right? And the fact that we are witnesses of something that is quite wonderful and that is a redemptive power that has transformed us. From the life of unbelief into the life of belief. Good evening, Anna Kane. It is so good to have you again as our guest.
1: Okay, good evening, everybody.
0: <laughs> and as per usual, we begin with a recognition of our father as the one who opposed this world and as our creator. It is written in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech or language where this declaration is not heard, that his law is perfect. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple And that we should really desire him above all else because that makes us the better and the transformed people that we desire to be. And in the world today, we're witnessing and hearing about so much that is concerning with regards to um, just righteousness and evil. And we are very aware that God's word has spoken we should not be alarmed. We should not be, and yet we are. We shouldn't be shocked, and yet we are, because the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, tells us it is written there that Satan and all of his angels, his demons, all of his um, partners in crime, so to speak, they're here, they're here, they're among us. And it is written, woe we'll be unto the inhabitants of the earth, for he is among you. He has come down. And we have to be ever so watchful, ever so careful, which is why I'm so glad Ani is here. Because as a college student working on the degree in literature, um, uh, English literature, the, the master's degree, she chose to do her work on the novel Jane Eyre. And I'm not going to get into that very much. I want her to do it because she does a much better job than I ever could. But I want to simply acknowledge the fact that a, a college student chose a work that she could expound on and bring parallels to choices that we can make. In living a life that does indeed glorify God, and with that, Anna Kane, I turn it over to you. Let's be on it.
1: Okay, that was a beautiful way to start, as usual, Phyllis. You have a wonderful way with words, and oh. you usually can sum up exactly. Uh, sometimes the the objective, and being able to uh, create those parallels is exactly. What ended up happening. Funny, the motivation going into choosing this text may have been for other reasons, but that's exactly what I came out of it with. Mm. And if anyone interested, with lots of literature, and I'll have to say those text of old because I'm not as well versed on current literature, meaning in the 21st century as I am in the 20th and the 19th century. (laughs) Um, I I found that that happens quite a bit. I was able to go through my coursework and make lots of parallels. It was an exciting time for me. And so out of that moment in time, Uh, I was introduced to this novel by Charlotte Bronte. I'd heard much about Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights beforehand, but never got a chance to find out about the sister and the Bronte family and their literary exploits. And so here we are tonight, and we are trying to look and use the novel as a tool, answering the question, how will we use this novel to allow God to speak to us? How can we allow a literary work from a woman who recognized God as the Lord of the universe? We believe that, I believe that with my study, while I did not know her, we are thankful for the the, the, the biographies and the, the writings, and we were thankful for the influences that she herself presented to us. And these were people who were well-versed in the Bible, they were confessors of God, and so he or she has produced a work that um, we can use. Fictitious as it may seem, some parts of this was autobiographical. Jane uh, Eyre is a type of depiction of Charlotte Bronte, though not wholly But I will say Bronte herself had some rough moments as we all do, but there were some difficult moments. And I know when we left last time, before I get into the theme that I'd like to explore today, we left last time and I mentioned early on a little bit about uh, Bronte's struggle in her belief in God. And one thing that I included in my work was that she was a Calvinist and that she had some concerns about the Calvinist tenets and all that that would do to inform her life or what they should have done to inform her life. Uh, I'll read something here, the the belief, the Calvinist belief that the souls are chosen by God to be either saved or damned, that irrevocable destiny was problematic. And it's not just problematic with somebody who would espouse themselves to Calvinism. We don't meet many people today who have that experience, uh, but the the issue itself of predestination is a problem for many people. They We don't understand how we can be given free will. And then at the same time, God work in all that to his own glory, to his own purposes. And so I wanted to sort of, before we move forward to sort of re- Move backward in case there's anybody in the audience who may actually quietly, secretly, or openly struggle with the author's struggle tonight. Um, God is omnipotent, I wrote, and his decrees are unalterable. Nevertheless, his gifts of sufficient grace and perseverance are given to those elected to salvation. I got that uh, idea from one of my article resources, but I thought it really gave us something to think about again (laughs) as we explore and use this as a tool for God to speak to us. And so um, I may revisit that a couple of times. We do plan on returning at least once more to explore other themes and to sort of come to some uh, determinations about how this text really can inform our own experience but i did want to highlight that again tonight uh being plagued with the idea that god is in control i think is the problem (laughs) that um that he has in his sovereignty and his perfect plan for man allowed for evil damnation and hell in his pursuit of his own creation towards salvation in his pursuit of relationship and redemption. There's an opposite. And because he's given us such insight, okay, uh, uh, you know, we, we struggle with the thing he hates and that is the evil one, the opposition. Uh, but you know, I, I think about her and every time I, I read this book, I actually say to myself, I think Charlotte was able to have a type of control a literary control so that the the final uh, uh end of her and and this text ended up being contrary to what everybody thought it ought to be but it ended up being satisfying to her so in that context she did not struggle she was able to create a character that went through uh quite a few struggles quite a few ordeals and come and rise above them um, with god at the head at the head but the, the the love, uh, the happy ending was something I think we all hope for. And that is a type of power that we have. But in light of what God's word says, we know that he does have lots of his, you know, a lot of his, all of his purposes, uh, excuse me, are irrevocable. Christ was going to the cross. No matter how Peter would fight for him, he wouldn't allow it. Uh, There are lots of things that were going to happen and how they came to pass was God's weaving into the lives of men at the same time, giving them the free will to make choices. It's an amazing thing. And so I wonder sometimes if we don't struggle on one level with the power of God, because I've been challenged today and what I'd like if I really thought about it would be the power to move things about in yes. the way that I would yes. see fit based on my understanding, based on my understanding. And so may we all be reminded that we, we lack understanding. With all the understanding we have, we lack understanding. Yes. And so perhaps I, 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 you know, it's been a long time, but I hope that at the end of her life, that was her reality also and that she embraced what God did give to us to understand and in faith she met him as we move along tonight I want to talk about again how can we make this discussion practical for us let's take a look at one of the themes that I mentioned last week it's actually one of the explored themes throughout the text Uh, Contentment was one of them. But tonight we're going to start off with rejection. And I had mentioned it was enduring rejection, uh, but rejection in a general sense. We know that this novel begins with Jane uh, in a household that rejects her. It doesn't start off well for her. Her parents have died and she has gone to live with Aunt Reed. It sounds like a movie, it should have been one. <laughs> and some of the renditions did a pretty good job of giving us a black and white visual of the, 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 the evil aunt Reed. But when we look at rejection, instead of just walking through the texts, and again, I encourage you this week, if you can get one of the versions of the movies that actually will spend a little time with Jane in her first experience, Uh, at Gateshead and all of the chapters in her book are named as a reflection of her experience. And so the entrance into her, uh, this experience Gateshead. Um, But when when we look at that, instead of just looking at what happened to her and talking about it, maybe we'll wrap that up at the end. Let's talk about how, what she's presenting, what Bronte the novelist is presenting to the audience. And in my estimation, it would, one of the things she's doing is allowing us to see what happens when we are presented with rejection, our response to rejection, and some of the rationale behind why we respond the way we respond. We know that this issue being tossed aside pushed aside not invited in rejected all the synonyms we can think of it started in the garden with disobedience when we disobey it's a type of rejection and in this case adam and eve disobeyed the word of the lord and in that sense they rejected his godhead and they took on for themselves out of curiosity and believing the lie their own godhead And that's a hard thing to say. The Bible tells us that we have the pride of life. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Mm -hmm. And so every time there's a sin in my own life, a shortcoming, I say, it's always gonna be what he said. And pride is at the core there, perhaps also lust of the flesh. Let's just say all of them (laughs) were an issue in the garden the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the the pride of life. So when we go through rejection, we often think it's because of what somebody else has done. And that can be the case. Who was rejected in the Bible? A few characters that come to mind. Jesus, right at the helm, with God the Father being first, his son falling second, and of course, then subsequently, the Holy Spirit. But aside from God himself, Joseph is a favorite character of ours because he overcame and God brought him to a good end. He was rejected in the family sense, uh, his brothers and even in jail, he was rejected once again. Uh, I think of Naomi, who was rejected in a sense, if you've ever experienced it on a different level, not outright. But because her father was a trickery guy, you know, and, and led his oldest daughter into marry instead of the younger loved daughter, she was not as loved as her younger sister. And though she bore him many sons who make up the 12 tribes of Israel, she wasn't outright rejected, but she truly wasn't the favored one. Though he did love her, that's for us, particularly women in a sensitive state, it's still a type of rejection. <laughs> to be second fiddle. Think about uh, the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, who they call the weeping prophet. But I read something that I thought was interesting. He had an unpalatable prophecy. That was the deal. We can't take this. What are you saying? Uh, It was not palatable. And therefore he was not embraced in the work that God had given him by the people. And there are others but what we find is rejection in the scripture is normal and the existence of mankind begins in the garden. Uh, And Jesus, you know, funny enough I go and we're going to get to Bronte in a second, but I'm reading this morning, not even with this in mind. And I read something that you might not look at as a scripture that illustrates rejection or you might, but it's in John, John five, starting about 43. It starts before that, but for the sake of time, John 43 says, I am come in my father's name and ye receive me not if another comes in his own name him ye will receive do we not see that experience Mm. that every day every Mm. day in the world people look at Christ Jesus give him a pat on the back they're either intimidated by him indifferent to him don't have time for him though they recognize he's good man, pre- all the goodness is wrapped up in him, but the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, okay? All of that pushes, if you don't embrace it, it will push him away. There's not a middle ground. You'll either accept him or you will reject him. You will be lukewarm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, you will be hot or cold. I mean, well, I'm using that one a little bit out of context, but nonetheless, you will reject him or you will embrace him. And he goes on to say, how can ye believe? He's talking to the Jews and he says, how can you believe which receive honor one of another, one of another they receive honor, not not Christ getting honor. And you seek not that honor that cometh from God. Do not think that I will accuse you, he says, interestingly enough, then that this is the thing. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Jesus says, I won't accuse you to the father there is one though that accuses you even moses because it's in moses that they trusted and so it's an ironic thing moses spoke of him jesus goes on to say if you had believed him, you would have believed me because he wrote about me so you know the rejection is not abnormal and christ is the, the you know he exemplifies what it looks like and he also exemplifies how we respond. So let's take a look at Bronte a little bit here. And and just to just give us a couple of his scriptures, I believe that the text will lead us to scriptures like, and again, this is not this is mostly about Christ. In John one, he came to his own and his people did not receive him. Uh, What about in Luke six, when he says, blessed are you, when people hate you, Uh, when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn you, okay, on the account of the son of man. That's an indication that people will hate you and exclude you and revile you on the account of the son of man and the Beatitudes. Another quick one, uh Psalm says, My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And quickly, Isaiah Uh, Again, speaking of Christ, surely He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Why? Because we rejected Him, didn't believe. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds, we are healed. Okay, we've turned everyone to His own way. But the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Mm. That, 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 that's rejection, people. But it's a rejection that has brought us our salvation. God himself turned his face away from his own son. He laid on him my iniquity. Praise my Where I should have been afflicted. With the man on the cross, the thief who called out to the Lord should have suffered like he was god said this day you will be with me in paradise isn't that a beautiful thing so when we look at this this story um we see jane enter in and quickly let's talk about what happened to her what was her what was that picture of rejection i will say that when i wrote about her i noted that uh, character is built by experience okay and that it's important to our individual growth And what happened with Jane from the beginning to the end? Disciplined her and principled her. Now, Jane didn't start off a good girl. She didn't come in there you know, spouting scripture. She came in as a vulnerable young girl, just a girl, a person that God had brought into the world. We have no indication that she came in like a Helen Burns, somebody who had already been introduced to God, known God, and and, and solidified herself in the savior's arms. That was not exactly Jane, but she was vulnerable. And I'm reminded quickly, if I can take a side road, that uh, the Bible does tell, he took the Lord had a a stipulation for the Jewish people. When the strangers came, lo and behold, they had to treat the stranger pretty well. Even the enemy. If an enemy lost his uh, animal or something like that, you had to go help him find the animal and bring it back. That's your enemy. The stranger, the vulnerable, the lonely, the widow, the orphan, God has always made room for that. So when I look at her story and I see she moves in with Aunt Jane, who was always cruel to her. It was in her nature, Jane says, to be cruel to her. Aunt Reed cleverly made Jane appear uncivil, (laughs) made her appear difficult all the time. She did that all the time. She was the enemy in a sense. And yet God, and his dealing with his people and now with us shows us how to respond to that. Even the enemy, somebody you normally would reject, don't do that. So looking at Jane again, she, she seems justified by the time we get to her response, but along the way she is, she's, she's alone. She's not embraced. She's not pretty period. She's plain. She's average. She's not rich, so she has no status in society to offer to the family. And she's one more mouth to feed. Notice, in a house of religious people, at least the adults. Lots of people were religious during this time period. So they knew and had they had heard scripture, church, God. But they weren't carrying that out. They weren't doing what God instructed his people to do to go in and embrace the vulnerable, the weak. What does this do to a person when they're totally pushed out? I mean, she got, you know, pulled, beat up by the cousin, lied on by the girl cousins, not invited to the game. She couldn't take walks with them. If you saw the movie, if you read the beginning of the book, you name it. They just made their cousin the outcast of the family and enjoyed doing it. It hampers her moral development to some degree. Um, From every enjoyment, she's excluded. Now, let's think about ourselves, if we're going to let the novel help us out here. Does this happen to you? Has it ever happened to you? Where you're retarded, okay, by the experience. You're left defenseless, okay, trying to navigate through a daily struggle. I think we've all at least felt that at some point. The extreme in the novel is when Jane after day after day and she used to sit in this window seat you know, and hide herself behind the curtain because that was a place of solitude and comfort and respite for her. But they would always find her. Her cousin would taunt her, torture her. And we have had that one cousin from time to time. But the ultimate <laughs> came when she was locked in the room, where her uncle had died, because Jane's aunt, auntie was a, was a, she was a widow, a widow, uh, when your, she, her husband had died, and she's punishing Jane, and so she locks her in what we call the red room. <laughs> this was frightening for her. OK? Mm. It was scary. She's a young child, and she leaves her in there. Jane is screaming, crying for help, and no one's going to rescue her. She asserts herself in a despairing resolve to bring herself some relief and she says, unjust, unjust. That was her reason. She was forced by the agonizing stimulus into a precocious though transitory uh, power and a resolve equally wrought up, instigated some strange expedient to achieve escape from this red room, from this insupportable oppression. as running away, or if that could not be affected, she wouldn't eat, she wouldn't drink, Mm -hmm. she was just gonna let herself die. What consternation of the soul was mine, she said that dreary afternoon, how all my brain was in tumult, and all my heart in insurrection. Mm -hmm. So she's suffering, there is injustice, now, I'm going to stop there and say, again, instead of going through every pain she experienced, you know, we, we want to, what, is, what does this speak to us? The theme for the night is rejection. We're looking at one of the themes that are explored in the novel. And it won't be the first time. When she gets up and she moves on toward the middle of the novel, she's rejected basically again by high society. But nonetheless, she's, at this point, again, she's vulnerable and she's younger. And I want to remind us again that the Bible has shown us that rejection is normal, actually, in a fallen world. And it started in the garden and it continued on. And unfortunately or fortunately, maybe we'll see that it, it extends itself to God's people. You know, it's funny when I say God's people, we know we're, you know, bought with a price now, but... Adam and Eve were God's people, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, they were the first people and Adam was good in the sight of God. He didn't make Adam and tell us in the scripture. And he was almost good, needed help. He was falling from the beginning. That's not what it was. He came in perfection. The disobedience brought him out of that. And I, I think about that, like, you know, why would he? We will never. I don't have that answer right now, except for what the scripture says. But why would he turn away? God was not Aunt Reed, Aunt, Aunt, this aunt here. <laughs> Nonetheless, let's find out what we can take from this. We know that this is normal. We experience this in, a, in a various, uh, um, various experiences in our lives. So w- are we going to accept it? Well, let's find out if we don't allow the Lord to do. What he said he would do when he gives us the scriptures and he says things like, uh, you know, surely he has borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Do we miss that? Um, is, is, Is God going to do what he says in Isaiah when he tells us not to fear? I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. Why would he say don't be dismayed? There may have been something to be dismayed about. I will strengthen you. Why? Because we're weak. I will help you. Why? Because I need help. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Hmm. The Lord will take me in. And I'll even say he reminds us of his own word. Just today, I felt unqualified to be here tonight. I remember that play. It's a good thing we did that play. Because it was about the women, uh, women of the Bible, who felt they were unqualified, but they all ended up being in the genealogy of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and uh, I I I, pr- I I was prayed for today. Phyllis prayed for me in a time of weakness, just weakness. I w- I can't say I was overwhelmed, overcome, but I have been. Rejection was uh, a reality, and the Lord upheld me with His righteous right hand. And I remind us that the righteousness God has given us, He's given it us, given it to us by faith. And I was reminded early today: it's the righteousness by faith. It's not like righteousness I got it; I only have it by faith. Amen. And so, by faith, I took what God had provided for me. And I can walk not low, but high because he's given me his righteousness by faith. I take it because I deserve everything I would ever get in justice, but he's given me righteousness by faith. So look at Jane, (laughs) she, this unsupportable oppression, But when she gets an opportunity to come out from under she's going to be sent away finally you know uh she doesn't know all the background detail but she's going to be sent to a school and her auntie and the whole family you know good riddance with this gene and she has an opportunity to have some dialogue with the aunt before she leaves and she says speak i must (laughs) (laughs) i had been trodden on severely and must turn so out of anger She retaliates and says to her auntie, I am not deceitful. That's what she had been accused of. If I were, I should say I loved you. If anyone asks me how I liked you and how you treated me, I will say the very thought of you makes me sick and that you treated me with miserable cruelty. You think I have no feelings and that I can live without one bit of love or kindness, but I cannot live so and you have no pity. I shall remember how you roughly and violently thrust me back into the red room and locked me up there to my dying day. Though I was in agony, though I cried out with suffocating distress, have mercy, have mercy, Henri. People think you're a good woman, but you're a bad, hard-hearted. You are deceitful. So she she retaliates. She finally gets her, her day where she can speak up for herself. And she said much more than that. But when we're faced with rejection, when Christ was reviled uh, against, when when they spit at him, when they wanted to stone him, when they didn't stand up for him after he had fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, healed the man's eyes, got the lame off the ground. Everybody's in awe. They serve him for a moment. They usher him into Jerusalem. They say, hail, hail, Hosanna. Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. But then when he needs them, they turn away. Many fell away. Many were saved, ironically. But many stopped following him is what the Bible says. So what, how does, you know, let's just start with where we live. How does that make you feel? (laughs) How do we feel? Because that's where it really gets to us, our feelings. What do we do? The Bible, bliss basically says in the Beatitudes that it's a blessed thing when they hate you. And if they exclude you, particularly for my name's sake. But... You know, and I don't want to take the scripture out of context because he says it's when they do that on the account of the son of man, that's when it's blessed. (laughs) Not when you do wrong and they exclude you, Uh, you know, but God has mercy and sometimes he allows you to bear the consequence. But if you're his, he does tell us, you know, gives us some idea on how we're to respond. And here Jane is responding out of what she knows in the moment. I'm about to have freedom. You have been an awful somebody. And I'm going to tell you so. That's the first thing we often want to do. But it's something she learns very quickly. And it's interesting that Bronte did this in the the text. She doesn't let Jane go off and, and ponder over this for a week or a month or a year when she gets older. She actually makes it appear as if somehow she's convicted as the... That the Holy Spirit will often convict us, and it happens rather quickly in the same day. After this incident, this encounter with her aunt, who stands there, you know, in awe <laughs> that this little woman she's been able to sort of, you know, push around the house has been emboldened and put her in her place. So this ecstasy is short-lived. And I'll say to us tonight, that maybe is one thing we ought to remember as we move out. And what can I take from this talk tonight? Is that the ecstasy is short-lived. We can say the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And you can say amen, but don't say we haven't had those moments when in a word, a deed, a phrase, what we do or what we choose not to do isn't in an effort to get some type of revenge, some sort of retaliation. Give me something that I can use. Or give give me silence, the silent treatment. Give me a word. Give me a thing I won't do. Give me a thing I will do, whatever it may be. How subtle, you know, but God sees our motivation. Isn't that a little bit alarming? Even the littlest motivation, and it's a difficult thing to rise above sometimes. Maybe not all the time, but sometimes it is. And so what happens here? Jane says to us, Ere I had finished this reply, my soul began to expand, to exult with the strangest sense of freedom, of triumph I ever felt. It seems as if an invisible bond that had burst, okay, Uh, excuse me, an invisible bond had burst and that I had, struggled out into unhoped-for liberty. This is how she's feeling right after. Not without cause was the sentiment. Mrs. Reed looked frightened. Her work had slipped from her knee. She was lifting her up her hands, rocking herself to and fro in her rocking chair, and even twisting her face as if she would cry. So this is the scene. Jane has had her say. She's retaliated. And she says, oh, there was this sense of triumph. There was this freedom. And even my enemy is looking pretty afraid sitting there. She says, I was left there alone, winner of the field. It was the hardest battle I had fought and the first victory I had gained. I enjoyed my conqueror's solitude. Yes, we do. First, I smiled to myself and felt elated. Yes but this fierce pleasure subsided. Half an hour's silence and reflection had shown me the madness of my conduct and the dreariness of my hated and my hating position. Notice that there was a dreariness in her hated position, but there was a dreariness in her hating position something of vengeance i had tasted for the first time as aromatic wine it seemed on swallowing warm and racy its after flavor however was metallic and corroding and it gave her a sensation as if she had been poisoned so in the aftermath of being rejected and having a moment, you think of justice. You even get to your enemy. You're left there, we are winners in the hour. It was a hard battle, but I had gained, and now I have conquered, and we often do enjoy. We do feel elated to some degree. There is a type of pleasure, but it will subside. And in just a little while, upon reflection, we might see the madness of our conduct and the dreariness, not just of our situation, but of our hating positions. We taste vengeance like an aromatic wine. It's warm and it is racy, but then it's metallic and it is corroding as if we had been poisoned. And then what do we have? We have regret that somehow the scripture, I could not hold to. I agree with the scripture, but in my weakness, even if it seemed justified, and she said, justified, um, it doesn't bring forth what we intended in the long run, and in this case, in the short run. So when we consider Jane, and what we are going to glean from this novel. Let's let's talk about that rejection. You know, uh, there's so many types of rejection. It's hard to sort of cover that <laughs> tonight through one story and one part of a story. But I did want us to take a look, you know, again, how can I practically apply what I'm seeing in this character? The Lord is a beautiful one. He started this. He takes a whole nation of people and and lets us see how we can practically apply his word in light of how he has dealt with them already. Us in the New Testament church, we have a privilege. We have an advantage that they themselves did not have, though he didn't leave them wanting, but we definitely have the advantage of looking back that they didn't. And so even with, you know, being rejected, the Lord has given us something. And in this text, he's given us something that we can use. We don't wanna be poisoned. We don't wanna corrode, but we will if we're not careful. Let's look at how we might want to respond. We know that Jane occupies a a difficult terrain, okay? Uh, Being a youngster in particular, this makes this a a lot more difficult for her to navigate. Um, But one thing that was interesting that I got from uh, one of my sources, it just spoke a little bit about reason, rationale behind that, and just hang with me there a little bit, The, the wording, the vocabulary gets a little heavy. From the opening paragraphs of the novel, where a defiant note of self-assertion is quickly introduced, and that's through the family. Jane is too assertive. She's too defiant. She's not listening. She's made to seem difficult. It becomes clear that the narrator of Jane Eyre is a figure involved in the processes of uh, self-legitimization. Now, I'm not sure that every rejection scenario has something to do with somebody trying to legitimate uh, themselves before a group or in life or in society. But sometimes that's what ends up happening. You need to find your legitimate position in that scenario. You now have to figure out how to assert yourself. Jane's reference to her sense of being humbled by the consciousness of my physical inferiority to her cousins actually suggests an opposing sense of mental superiority. Now, again, the sources here don't necessarily have to be men and women of God who are using scripture for their train of thought, but I thought it was still worth noting. I say that too, because I, we used to think that I I read something interesting about depression and I, I, you know, I, I was a little
0: surprised, but the more I I don't quite know. Oh, there's been a disconnect. So um, we're going to send get her back uh, in the meantime. I am so um, amazed at the content that is being presented here. And um, it is just phenomenal that so many of the precepts of our of our faith are being covered here in this um, discussion of Jane Eyre. And if you didn't like take time to look at the film or start to read the book, I really, really suggest that you do because it is such a good read. See, it's a really good novel. You will enjoy reading it as a work of, you know, Fiction, so to speak, though it is autobiographical, but it's also a good contemplation. Um, God appoints, I think, at time, at times, people who are very skillful in in the um, arts that we things that we call the arts, or in any endeavor, right? And what they leave in the earth. Is it has longevity? It lasts, and and we are we are caught with Jane in an era when what she is writing is highly criticized because of the rape, the way it was read, in the culture in which it was read. This was the Victorian era. It's just coming through, uh, the end of it, right? And women had a place. And so this novel presents a young girl from her youth being that outspoken, and the criticism was that um, that she was um, too what is it? Were brazen, that she was too self-willed, that she had her place and that she ought to stay there. And so her novel gave rise to women rethinking. There are positions in in the, the culture, the society in which you know which this novel was written, and if if you've read any uh, or watched, not even read, if you've watched English films, I I finally said to to many people, I finally understand the cruelty of slavery. And we think it's about race. And of course, it has developed to be that. It is, you know, the demeaning of a group of people because of where they're from, the color of their skin, the, the texture of their hair, the, uh, their speech on a language that they were never taught. All of those factors have entered into our being, um, you know, these underdog people. But within those society during that era, in, in the English world and the Western world, there was such classism and there was uh, such a, uh, a standard, uh, a cultural standard. And women were the underdogs, so to speak, with regards to their relation to, to uh, the men. I'm suspecting that Anna must have lost power. Um, because I can't get her anyway. (laughs) So uh, God is amazing. I'm so glad that that she has presented to this point all that she said. It is really, really just a mouthful. I taught, and I've probably said this before, so forgive me for repeating myself, but I have taught school, and I also was a, a director of a program that was supposed to uh, support young t- teenagers through high school our task was to improve the graduation rate in these schools where the gradu- graduation rate has greatly fallen and the dropout rate has greatly fallen so we are also uh, in a changing society just like in the Victorian period when Charlotte Bronte wrote this novel and um what we see is exactly what they were accusing Jane of. We see the uh, capture of immoral life that is substandard to probably the life we as older people have uh, lived and the way we went to school and the conventions that were set up there and the way you acted and the way you didn't act and the things you said and things you didn't say. Like I'm telling you, the cursing, we did a, almost a curse out. We didn't actually get it done, but we are going to do a, a curse out with the nation because young people now use foul language like is no, no big deal. You know, they just do these words. And when you talk to them, um, they will tell you that their parents do it. And I did witness a man cursing his young toddler as if the child Was not, didn't belong to him as if he hated the child. It was the most shocking thing that I have ever experienced. And so, when when someone will will, uh, pin any words or leave any, uh, you know, imprint of a changed mind, that would be criticized by the former group of people, the former generation. And our in in this world, you know, we're not trying to change people with the, uh, the premise of the Bible, that foundation undergirding what we're saying. We're just, you know, openly saying, you know, whatever we're saying. It, it, rarely do you hear anything um, challenging the established way of those who are in the church, supposedly. So what uh, Anna just read there, Jane's words back to her aunt, Reed, had to do with what came to my mind, Isaiah 58. Jane was uh, literally orphaned. Her father and mother had died. And her aunt, Reed, is her father's sister. He asked her to take care of Jane. And so Jane is in his house home, uh, in her Aunt Reed's house, uh, and uh, Aunt Reed is not treating her well at all, just absolutely demeaning this little young mind, and so hurt people, it is said, also hurt people. Jane couldn't wait to express that built-up pressure from all the trauma that she had experienced in that household. That is a statement, was a statement interpreted to be an affront against the morality of the day. And yet Aunt Reed is the one who is derelict to it. Jane is doing everything that she can to be accepted. She wanted to be accepted. Aunt Reed demeaned her by uh, reminding her that, well, Bessie, really, that she was not as pretty as Aunt Reed's children that she should always be humble and thankful and grateful to have been taken in. I mean, it's a great, I mean, you really should read it and do this analysis of uh, such works is, to me, extremely important. And therefore, um, I find that the Lord, you know, leading us to to go through this novel and to uh, analyze what Jane Eyre was uh, saying, what Charlotte Bronte was saying and then there, the the criticism against charlotte brontë was was really quite strong from the you know the moral center of that culture at that time and yet charlotte herself had endured much suffering her mother died 38 years old or something like that after the last child and i think there were 5 of these children And they all lived together. Her father was a a curate, but he was also in in the the church. And then all of her siblings just gradually died. And she herself, she died at 38 as well, pregnant with her first child. So she lived a life of suffering. And who best to talk about that in relation to God, your relationship with God, than one who has suffered. Just like that. When you have endured, Anna made a statement. She said, experience is built through, by, I'm sorry, uh, not, not experiences. Um, what was her word? I'm, I have experience. Wisdom, understanding comes through suffering. And Jesus Christ said, or he's written in the um Oh my goodness, so many scriptures are running through my head. After you have suffered a while, that that suffering brings on understanding. You you don't know much until you've gone through something. And in the stages of our lives, we experience varying degrees of suffering. I remember myself being in an early morning prayer. I went through a season where I would get up, drive 30 minutes to a prayer group, and I would be there by five in the morning or uh, sometimes six, we would start, but I would be up very early. And I could not understand why I was always saying yes. I could never, ever deny anyone anything. And I was aware, but I was not in control of this. And in that prayer group that morning, I dropped into that floor and I cried out and I prayed and I heard my father answer me and tell me that I had been rejected. So I feel that I have lived also a life of rejection, not fitting in, not knowing where my place is, right? And yet. With this being one of my burdens in life, I have been very satisfied in, um, you know, every, almost every relation. I, I rarely break with a relationship. I may get, uh, you know, uh, overtaken by some things in some people from time to time, but I realize that those tensions, like Jane. You know, I used to want to be like my mother. My mother had a very sharp wit and she could just tell you straight up and just cut you right into pieces if she wanted to, right? Um, it was her way. I wanted to have that. But you see I'm not gifted with that kind of wit and that kind of strikeability. And so I would, you know, probably talk way too much and say much more than I should. And I learned early, that it will corrode your inner person because no sooner than you've done it, you recognize, oh, it may be as a child knocks white so quickly, but I surely did come to see that it avails absolutely nothing, and I don't like me in that place. We can all do such a thing, and then there are others who would not be quite so outspoken but who in their own hearts and in their own devisings will get their revenge or um, make, make others remember their sins or, you know, just uh, make a big to-do of really nothing. And that is the beautiful picture that we see of Jane the child as she grows into the more mature Jane. And uh, if you write to me, if you say something, I will surely read it. It is a, it is a really good good uh, film, and it's really a good book. And uh, of course, you know, as with books go to film, I, I said this before um, the book may, it, it could lose its integrity depending on who there she is again. We're fresh and I'm so glad to have you back please pick up and continue um, there you go
1: about how long
0: ah, did it, think it was
1: yeah.
0: gone uh, probably about 10-12 minutes if not a little longer but go I ahead
1: I apologize audience I didn't know that
0: you, yeah
1: and I prayed and I tell you Lord Jesus
0: he's good like that go right ahead
1: Well, since I did notice the time, everyone, and I spent the last 10 minutes going through God's scripture and praying, and I didn't know I was not with you. (laughs) (laughs) I will wrap it up in a couple of minutes and say that I hope that you heard that I wanted us to be able to take something practical away from this novel. Mm. That rejection has always been with us. That it is a normal thing. When the Lord said, take up your cross and follow me, he meant that. He's given us a lot of opportunity to understand that though he has called us as the church, as his bride collectively, walking alone is one way in which he allows us to experience his comfort. And if you find yourself tonight in a place of rejection, if you find yourself navigating waters, and I'm not quite sure if you heard me because I didn't know I had disconnected. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you, um, heard that I said, you know, rejection for Jane and her particular scenario, uh, is one thing that overt rejection, but look at all the various ways in which we experience it relationally Mm -hmm. at work, your neighbor, uh, lots of places where we are no longer invited in, when we are pushed aside, we're ignored. And Phyllis, do stop me if I repeat myself. But mm-hmm. in all these different scenarios, they, they, are, they are hurtful. They are difficult. And oftentimes we do want to retaliate. But what we'll find at the end is exactly what Jane found. And that's a corrosion of the soul.
0: Mm-hmm. In the
1: long run, if you know, the, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, he will convict you. We think just of the type of sin that's commission, I believe. <laughs> but maybe mm-hmm. the sins of omission what am i you know doing and what am i not doing and what are my motivations when i experience this am i being motivated toward that corrosion do i need that how do i humble myself how do i do what jesus did and i didn't say this before but what how do we follow him how do we respond like him mm. I went through some scriptures when I didn't know <laughs> that I was not here. And so it'll be difficult to go back and do it, say exactly what the Lord put on my heart in that hour. So I apologize. I'm so afraid. But God, if you receive glory, if that was my heart crying out to you,
0: then you so be. Go to God.
1: But we will revisit this again, hopefully. And I just mm-hmm. pray that... Um, we, we appreciate just even in the entertainment that you can be glorified, even in that, and that we can take just a story and somebody who had the mind and the gift <laughs> to have an understanding about you, to, and, and whatever to whatever degree to present a story, so that Jane would be posited in a particular situation as a vulnerable young girl and you would bring her out of that Mm. rejection and show us how you then cultivated in her character but you use this for her good we will see as unjust as it may seem and appear on the face of it underneath that tapestry it doesn't look so good but when we flip it over Ravi reminds us it's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and that's what we're waiting to see so God, we thank you tonight. I pray, Lord mm. Jesus, that if anybody was experiencing rejection in any facet, Lord Jesus, you would come and meet them where they are. Meet them in their singular place. As much as you use us collectively, Lord Jesus, my prayer is that you meet them like you met me, on the playground, walking down the street, doing the dishes, where you can bring a song to my heart, a smile to my face, a prayer, In my mind, Lord Jesus, there's so many things you can do with us if we don't have the distractions. And when we are being the ones who are cast off, walk with us. And I guarantee there'll be laughter in the soul. Um. You are a good God, and you love us. You are the creator, by the way, of the encouragement. That is not the devil's work. That is you, God. You knew what you were doing, and we trust you. We say so, even when we hurt. Lord Jesus, meet us at our at our need. Give us light in our darkness, please. Give us respite, even in situations that seem ongoing, ongoing. And I've had some ongoing situations. You go to work, and every day, every day, it's like a cloud. It's like a, you know, constantly over you, everywhere you go. You don't know where it came from, and here it is. It's that force of rejection. It's that being forced to live apart. God, meet us, Lord, and help us, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us, and may your word become alive in us. May we remember it. We will remember that when we will allow ourselves to meditate on it, We will sing songs of praise. We we, we need you, our Jesus. And and your word really does deliver us. You take us in. You are for us. We won't be dismayed. You uphold us with your righteous right hand. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Hallelujah.
1: And I apologize, everybody. I do believe the Lord Lord had Closing word for me in those twelve minutes, and I had yes. no idea <laughs> that you were not there. <laughs> but we will try to come again, and we will move. I wanted—I did mention quickly that every chapter in this text is a different one, and so tonight we explored one theme as a way to sort of remind ourselves that um, the Lord knows this is the way. This is part of his way, his plan for his own son. This is a part of his plan. Let's see him walk us through it. And then we'll come and we'll talk about the training of our own characters and how God can do that Mm -hmm. in a place where he does allow for respite and there is embrace. But guess what? The enemy never leaves. There's also rejection there too. So I thank you for your attention tonight. And we look forward to moving on to another section of Jane and maybe wrapping up two or three as we continue this talk next week.
0: Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Anna Kane. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you recompense her accordingly she has given out to us this night. You have a way. You always have a way. Those 10 minutes were not wasted. You did in those moments what your plan to do was. It was included. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Again, this is Wow, What a Show. Your host tonight has been Anna Kane. I am the co-host, Phyllis Ledbetter. We are the live podcast outreach of Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. And these episodes are loaded to the main page on Podbean Podbean um, platform thank you so much as always and I have to say as always God sets a table he cooks the meal he plans the meal he cooks and he serves it up and we are invited to take of it the morsels the entree The dessert, the delectables that nourish our souls and not anything on his table is not nourishing. Everything is nourishing. God, we thank you for that. We meet every Wednesday at eight o'clock and we invite you to join us again. I am so grateful for you taking the time out to join us and to hear the podcast Thank you so much. Wednesday at eight, we will see you and I pray that the Lord bless you through this week in a way that maybe you have been blessed or maybe you have not, that he will speak to you and you will have heard out of the words that were shared tonight and the scriptural references that support those words, how we should be as the reborn people of God. You can't do it yourself, but you can assess whether or not you are in Christ if you line up with the words that he speaks. And if you're not there, but you you know, in, in every way, prayer, repentance, submission, release to his will and to his way. And that is our transformation may he be praised forever. God bless you. We will see you next time. Anna, can't thank you enough. May the Lord our God bless and keep you in every way. Thank you.